Welcome to episode nine from MOSIF's APIs over IPAs podcast network. I'm Lawrence Ebringer, your host today and the chief marketing officer of MOSIF, the API observability platform. Joining me is Claire Barrett, a seasoned consultant in strategy and technology change with long tenures at international consulting companies and financial institutions, and currently the director of APIs First with Mehdi Majawi. Claire's also an active champion for women in technology and its global and the global leader of women in APIs. Claire, welcome to our humble pod- podcast network. Where in the world do we find you? Thank you, Lawrence, for inviting me. I'm joining you today from the UK. Great, I, I know it well. Kicking things off, why don't you share with us your journey to become director at APIs First and the leader of global women in APIs and perhaps illuminate on what were your drivers along the way? So my professional background has been in IT leadership and management consulting. I'm almost always with and around large and more complex mature organizations going through change. My background, I grew up as a child um, in a military family. um, So I got to travel quite a lot. Uh, I changed schools, neighborhoods, countries uh, during my, you know, if you like formative years. And uh, it means that I've always been comfortable uh, in new situations. Uh, I I see it more as an adrenaline rush than a a fear. Uh, So I've always been drawn to helping people and organizations uh, manage and thrive through change. Um, and build the kind of skills and resilience and and cultures um, that allow them to respond. Uh, I've also got a real curiosity about the world. Um, I describe myself as a sort of IT-enabled change polyglot uh, in that I I speak the language of strategy. I speak the language of IT for business, business architecture, project management, agile, uh, uh, scaled agile practices, digital transformation, organizational change and and comms. So to me, these all come together in the API space and my role at APIs first uh, has aligned also with a move uh, back to Europe from from Australia where I've I've been for uh, most of my professional career. Uh, We help people and organizations realize the full potential of APIs um, generally as part of a wider organizational transformation. Uh, Joining APIs first also coincided with um, getting to uh, work with a a team around the API Days um, uh, conferences and uh, their Global Women in APIs initiative. And I've had the privilege of leading that group, um, which is about building people's confidence and skills with speaking and writing uh, in public. Great. Great, a very diverse background. And uh, again, thank you for joining us on our podcast network today. So let's talk a little about product management in large organizations. How do you define product management in higher complexity, mature organizations? And how is it different from project management? So an excellent uh, question that I think a lot of people are, are um, coming, you know, wrestling with or, or, or thinking about deeply at the moment. Um, perhaps I'd start with how I define 
um, project management, uh, or maybe some of the sort of the, the, the you know, what is it about at its essence? And pr project management, I, you could you could call out three key things. It's it's about achieving a particular sponsor's vision and goal, um, and project managers typically have quite a a close emotional connection with the, the sponsor's dream and vision. Um, it's secondly about ownership of deliverables and about running processes to execute that change across technology and people and, and skill sets. And, and good project managers can own deliverables and run the process to execute, often regardless of, of which industry or underpinning technologies or types of teams and problems that they're solving. Um, a, a good project you know, and, the, and the more experienced they are um, and the, the wider the scope of the change that they're used to driving, um, the more able they are to um, sort of be able to be dropped into solving complex problems, regardless of what the project's trying to achieve, if you like. Um, and the third thing is really about how they organize and, and do their work. It's, it's, it's about planning the work and working the plan is, is, is a typical mantra. These days, this is about chunking work down into, into small manageable pieces, iterating continuously, learning and, and moving towards a goal. So, so, so those are some of the kind of themes around project management. Um, and whereas product management uh, would have a, you know, a, a different set of, of things that are uh, important um, that they would that, that, that are anchored. So maybe so three of the things could be around how they they own they have ownership of the product's life cycle. So they're looking much longer term than uh, necessarily getting to the end of of a, of a project and a scope. They're, they're championing the vision for the product uh, in the API sense. This is about finding new markets, new channels, new business uh, uh, opportunities for, for creating business value. Secondly, they're very customer centric. Uh, um, now that those customers could be um, other, uh, you know, in API sense could be developers in other organizations who uh, may be looking to create models or they could be um, uh, focused on products that are, that are being digitized and automated through APIs. Their emotional connection of a product manager is, is more strongly to its customers, to the users of the product. Um, for APIs, this is the potential that other systems will use it via those teams. Um, and the third thing I think uh, that is important for, for product management is a very data fact-based evidence element to the decisions that they're making. So uh, the, the, the project manager and the product manager share, they both share, you know, strong commercial acumen, they need to be able to uh, uh, manage and drive change, they need to be able to move things forward, um, drive action, they need to um, influence and communicate across very large um, and diverse groups of stakeholders, they both have roles in bringing people together, um, who, who may not necessarily work for them directly, so they've got to be able to operate through through influence. Um, but I do think they, they have a different um, emphasis and um, connection. I don't think you can just uh, rebadge re a project, you know, a, a role that looks under the covers a bit like a project manager because they're just good at organizing things and getting stuff done and relabel it as a product manager. Um, I think you need to be thinking of product managers as deeply connected to 
understanding the business subject, they're, they're deep business subject matter experts in, in the capability in the, that's being offered and their level of IT understanding in an API sense um, does need to be uh, perhaps, uh, it can't be necessarily agnostic of that technology in the same sense that perhaps um, project managers are able to operate across more, more domains. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I always love to slow down in these podcasts when there's an especially cogent moment, analysis or insight. Um, how does product thinking manage the challenge of meeting short-term priorities whilst transforming more broadly? Or put another way, how do you re-engineer a whole plane while it's, it's flying? So I think this is this striking these balances uh, is is uh, such a real problem for people, particularly in in large and mature organisations uh, that are um, striving to you know, simplify, automate, um, uh, you know, uh, modernise uh, their their existing systems at the same time as uh, um, trying to find new opportunities, which potentially. Uh, if not well managed, are at risk of, if you like, adding complexity into the environment. So, um, how do how do they? You know, it's the old walk and chew gum thing. Um, the 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 uh, the organisations that are are getting the most success in this space um, are able to right size the levels that their architectures to be able to focus on particular domains or particular areas of um, uh, business and technology combined capability and have the right organizational structure and ownership for it. But it's also a lot about how they, they fund um, and manage the ability to prioritize. So as one moves from project-based change to more product-based thinking, going along with that is the ability to um, think of uh, long build and run capability uh, as being long, long running through the life cycle of a product as distinct from being time bound and scope bound in the traditional project sense. Uh, yeah. And this certainly plays out in, it plays out in things like, you know, what's OPEX versus CAPEX. It plays out in things about what's uh, business as usual versus what's um, change. So it can be very, uh, it can, it can go quite heavily to the core of how organisations have traditionally thought of change in order to be able to um, respond. But they can do experiments and uh, build capability if they've got the right kind of attitude and they can chunk things down to be small enough rather than try and overthink it too quickly. So it's a lot about building skills and confidence with trying things out and learning from them and then moving ahead, it's it, it's like leveling up each step in a in a game. Um, yeah, as you as you've leveled up to you know into the teens and the twenties levels, uh, you can deal with an awful lot more uh, complexity and stuff you know coming at you all the time from different places, and you can and the prizes are bigger, uh, and you can collaborate uh, with with you know different different people than you'd thought of in the past. Um, early on, you need to build skills and muscles. Um, at, at managing change. Great, great. Love that definition. Yes, it's uh, a lot about um, moving uh, slowly initially and then building upon the 
as you said, the muscles and the skills that you've built up over time to really formulate large scale change. What cultural or behavioral levers need to be pulled and where should you invest to make a product successful across large organizations? We're focusing on the on API products in particular. They do call for a, a, a different way of thinking than AP is in, APIs as integration components. So I think a lot of people can quickly um, understand that, uh, or it, it, it's, not, it's not a big stretch in thinking to think of APIs as a, um, a better and simpler way of providing hooks into hooks between systems and hooks between um, external parties and organizations. What's a, a next step of thinking is how might an API externalized be offered as a product into new channels that don't yet exist um, and into new markets as opposed to re-engineering or off offering a new experience. This is offering, this is offering a product in a new sense to a new, to a new market, uh, which uh, feels very different for people. And so a digital savviness is, a, is for the, the, the sponsoring teams of product ownership is, is key. Having the right fit for purpose governance in place that underpins and supports uh, those API products and, and, and teams around them. So um, the, the very clear and easy to understand minimum standards and expectations around security, around um, uh, usability, around um, uh, data management. Um, uh, the other, as we were talking about before, this, this project to product mindset, uh, um, as well as being understood by multiple different stakeholders in the organization is key. So it's, it is about building that, that capability, finding the places that early on that will um, resonate and that will tell a story that can be bought into by people. So what, what is the, the particular opportunity, which early on might not be as um, maybe as far reaching as once you've leveled up <laughs> a number of times, then you can kind of be exploring more, uh, um, more uh, progressive um, ways, of, ways of working. But you, by then you've sort of built a, built a momentum um, and you've got, you've got the engineering confidence, you've got the, um, the scalability confidence, the performance confidence, the security, uh, the finance funding arrangements, those, those pieces that need to be, uh, those capabilities need to be in place. Great, great. Yes, I totally, uh, I totally see that in our in our customer base. Um, what do you mean by achieving change stickiness? And what are some of the things people can take away from your research findings into it? And I should probably say that I got the idea for the, from this question for, for from your excellent LinkedIn article on this topic. Thank you, uh, Lawrence. Uh, Transformation change stickiness uh, has been an interest in mine uh, in terms of what uh, IT enabled change leaders. So these, these are you know, tech savvy business leaders, uh, CTOs and CIOs, uh, consultants supporting organizations through tra transformational change, uh, seasoned technologists. What are some of the trade-offs they are encouraging or making that allow them to, to do this uh, 
building and repairing the plane while flying it at the same time. Uh, and uh, the, the, the findings have been interesting and they are actually different depending on the, the, the complexity and size of the organization. Uh, so there's a, uh, an appreciation that if you're driving large change and you're looking at it through an IT enabled change lens, there are ways in which you can be most effective, more or less effective, depending on where you want to put your efforts. Because it's, it is, it, it, there's always more things that you can do than, uh, uh, than you have enough resources, team skills, funding to, to, to go after. So, so how do you choose what to do? How do you choose not, you know, what to do later or what to not do? Um, at higher complexity organizations, for example, they would put 60% um, uh, of their effort towards um, uh, in, 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 in getting attention for, for the change that's going on. They put 60% of their effort towards large symbols of new things that are being done. So um, uh, versus 40% of their effort towards uh, what I call the kind of low hanging fruit uh, pieces of change. So things that will, will um, show that there's some change happening, but they may not be the really, really big long-term um, uh, impacts. So uh, whereas in lower complexity organizations, that split would be the other way around. Um, it's actually more like they would put 65% of their effort towards things that make a meaningful difference, low hanging fruit, problems that have been around for a while that um, by addressing them, uh, they will get trust and, and uh, confidence from uh, employees and customers close to the core face of their IT operations and then support um, some of the bigger symbols of change. So a big symbol of change um, could be uh, um, uh, a, a major um, a reorganization around um, uh, 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 perhaps a different kind of ag scaled agile arrangement. It could be a change in um, uh, a language. Uh, I've heard of you know um, ch change in international uh, language for a non-English speaking organization into English, for example, or a um, so something that's kind of got to get people um, sitting up and listening. The uh, um, another uh, um, piece that I asked people about, which I think is very relevant in the API space, which has a very, um, where there's a, a, a big, if you like, war for talent at the moment, in terms of finding, for example, API product managers. Um, I asked what pe where people would put their efforts and investment in building skills and capability in-house, um, taking, you know, uh, taking perhaps a bit longer to recruit and retrain, to retain and build uh, new capability that will will drive their transformation versus what effort would they put into um, getting externals in to help them uh, with a with a fast start and regardless of the size of organization or industry uh, it was um, uh, uh, more than 50 percent about 55 percent of their efforts would go to building capability internally versus nearly half um, 45 percent on external support so um, that uh, both, again, both options are, um, are, are reasonable things to choose, but there was, uh, you know, a, a, a recognition um, uh, both by external consultants on the importance of organizations building internal capability, as much as there were the, the recognition for 
um, people trying to build skills in-house about the, the need to be able to get support from externals. That's fascinating. I would have never thought that it's 50-50 for building internal capabilities versus bringing it, bringing it in from outside. So just to qualify, it's, it's 55% of the effort that they would put towards building internal capability versus they would put 45% of their effort towards um, getting help um, from outside. Uh, in in driving you know in in driving a digital change so people recognize that it's um uh they they need they need that long-term capability in-house uh it just they don't necessarily have the time also that they can't afford at the moment to take the amount of time it will take to build that capability in-house either reskill existing um, people with new digital capabilities um, or uh, um, with finding and recruiting those people, they, they, they need the external support to give them that, that head start with a net strong expectation that that role is to coach and um, uh, support the development of that capability as opposed to having a long-term uh, third-party reliance on something as, as core and fundamental as uh, the API space, for example, where you, that, is, that, that becomes such a uh, if you've got API products that are um, building out an embedded business model for you and you see that as part of your future and the people that are behind uh, are supporting that as having the capabilities that you want for the long term, uh, you don't see that as something that you'd, you'd outsource. Right, right. Yeah, we, in fact, um, that, that, that's very um, topical that you said that because we, we are, uh, have a number of new customers in health tech and it's fascinating, the earlier on the customer is, the more likely they are to have external consultants helping them with HIPAA and high-tech compliance. But then we, when dealing with larger organizations in health tech that have an established product and are further down the path, practically all of their expertise is internally, is internally built and developed. So yeah, we, we certainly see that in the marketplace today. How does your proposed model of API stakeholders work where sponsors, transformers, and technologists interact to execute lasting change? So Lawrence, the description that we use is these three different uh, communities, if you like, within a lot of organizations today going through transformational change. It's not an organizational hierarchical split. It's more a role between these kind of elders, uh, the sponsors of, of uh, the organization that are looking to um, uh, uh, realize the strategies that they've committed to and, uh, 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 and want to see realized um, as, as quickly as they can, if you like. And, and in, inevitably, uh, while APIs may not be called out in those strategies, they're certainly inherent in the ability to be able to move faster, um, be able to um, uh, explore um, and participate in new ecosystems um, and, and new kinds of models and marketplaces. So there's the elders, uh, the transformers or the explorers, the, the, the people who are, are um, uh, out there looking for new opportunities. They, they, they may be um, already at a kind of API as product base, or they may be uh, focused on perhaps digitizing existing experiences, reimagining customer journeys. Um, and then the third is the, the technologists, the kind of navigators uh, of 
the um, uh, IT uh, landscape uh, and the, um, the, the tooling and the architectures and the enablers of which APIs um, are certainly a core. One of the challenges for these groups is not to have them, if you like, standing with their backs to each other, trying to shout into the wind, but um, uh, uh, singing from a, from a, from a shared song, song, song sheet and, and finding the, the, the synergies in, in the, you know, perhaps what can be white space between these teams is, is really, really key because they do have um, often different starting points, all huge, all, all correctly and appropriately intentioned towards driving this broader change, but not necessarily um, uh, aligned around the same priorities. So all, all busy, all, fo uh, all focused on the things that are um, closest to where their function will make the highest, will make the highest impact to the organization more broadly. But that can create tension between which things to work on first. So uh, finding the shared APR goals is really critical. And um, uh, this can often, you know, for us early on in, you know, in the lower levels, um, th this may be um, relatively sm small in terms of its ambition and, and, and scope and opportunity. But as organizations level up, um, uh, it may be, you know, across all three. So early on, maybe just two of those teams would be working and focusing on something, you know, the, 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 the APIs that are going to enable processes to be digitized faster. Um, uh, the, IT, the IT team working on the tooling for that, um, uh, making sure that those can be secure, uh, managed, self-served internally. Um, that may uh, lead on to some other impacts, uh, but more broadly for, other, for other, other sponsors. But then the transformers may be looking to actually um, uh, trigger more change in the elders, the sponsors community, to start thinking differently. Um, the IT teams may actually be able to offer uh, new ways of thinking about that 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 hadn't existed before, and uh, creating the right construct for those three parties to operate together could be around a product or it could be around a program in order to inform a product um, is, uh, uh, is is to me part of the secret sauce um, for for getting um, uh, fast impact at each level. Mm. Oh, fa fascinating uh, distinction between those three different very important groups. Um, so changing gears a little and moving on to a topic uh, close to my heart, since I have two daughters, um, share with us your um, experiences of being a leader of women in the APIs community. Um, what are the benefits of greater workplace balance and inclusion for product teams? So, so product teams are naturally um, expected to be creative, to be um, uh, responsive, um, to be uh, thinking not just about technical product opportunities, but the, the, the empathies and the, uh, the, the, the feelings and the sentiments of, of their, their communities, their, their user bases, et cetera. And so um, uh, greater balance uh, um, in, in a team um, will naturally create uh, um, uh, more uh, a, a more diverse way of looking at, at problems, um, and you know, balance is not just gender; it's it, it's race and um, uh, culture and age and um, orientation and ability. All of those uh, elements will allow people to think up um, products that are more creative, 
that are, are, are more responsive. Um, another key thing is that, that people, pref people are more engaged if they feel included and they um, have the opportunity to work with, um, bring their whole selves to work and, and be um, connected. So in inclusion plays out very heavily um, in increasing staff engagement. And personally, I think um, they also are more resilient to change because people are more open uh, to, to others and to other ideas. And therefore they tend to be um, more sensitive um, to, to, to what's going on in the external environment. And certainly research bears out that organizations with um, greater balance in their leadership teams and uh, greater balance in their um, uh, boards and directions and so on um, will uh, respond um, more successfully to change that's going on. And that couldn't be more real than what's happening in the world today. Right. That is, that is, so, uh, that is so true and so cogently put, especially here in, in the Silicon Valley, we need a, a whole lot more um, uh, greater inclusion and diversity in the, in the tech, tech workspace. Um, so on that subject, um, as the leader of women in the APIs community, what do you um, suggest that uh, underrepresented people listening to this podcast can do to help further their careers? And, and, and specifically, um, what programs might be available? Uh, we run programs to help people uh, build their confidence and uh, skills with speaking uh, and writing in the public domain. So um, we, we feel strongly that um, uh, people who can showcase the talents of their teams, their colleagues, uh, and by association themselves uh, um, are, uh, uh, are building the opportunity to be recognized, not, not just externally, but internally as well. And we feel that um, as people uh, build confidence with speaking about what they and their teams are doing and how that's making a difference, that that uh, encourages uh, perhaps less represented uh, other team members to, to step up, um, to contribute. Um, so uh, we support people in their careers, their profiles, um, by uh, um, running programs that allow them to uh, practice in a, in a, um, a safe space, um, being uh, applying to speak at conferences, for example, um, we provide them with coaching uh, and support um, uh, before, during, and, uh, and after uh, uh, conference participation, um, increasingly now um, in writing in public as well, so writing in the public domain. Um, we, uh, we provide networking events, we provide um, su um, uh, support profiles of um, women in the APIs community, which is, I should say, um, pretty broad. Um, last year, we, uh, we increased our membership by 150%. Um, we offered um, five programs. Our members are now from over 23 countries uh, and more than 85 different organizations and the membership's growing uh, literally by the day. Um, uh, it, the members come from um, uh, uh, large organizations with, you know, with an API, let's say architecture roles. They come from um, API uh, management system vendors. They come from uh, um, uh, startups, they come from uh, people um, acting, you know, freelancers in the API space, technical writers, UX. It's, a, it's like a really fantastically um, broad 
uh, group, men and women in our membership, and uh, um, or men and uh, people identifying as men and women or non-binary in our membership. And uh, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a fantastic way for particularly people who are perhaps a little less connected in this pandemic world that we're in. Um, we've been able to provide connection uh, th through this virtual format, which for people um, in all corners of the world uh, has been, um, uh, we, we repeatedly hear has been a really, really nice and important um, uh, feeling of, um, yeah, being part of something perhaps bigger than one is. Brilliant, brilliant. Where, where um, online should people go to find out more information about your excellent programs? Um, so Women in APIs is at uh, www.apidays.global and uh, the Women Initiatives, the Initiatives page. Um, uh, you can join there, you can find out about the programs. Um, you can uh, contact me on LinkedIn uh, if you want to um, uh, contact me directly. Uh, I could also, um, uh, uh, in the subject of API product management, uh, as part of a group of global API experts, um, the API Collective, we're running a productizing APIs bootcamp from the 23rd of March. And you can find out more details on that at www.theapicollective.com. Great, excellent. Well, we uh, finished on a very instructive and uh, helpful note there, providing a couple of uh, great links for uh, uh, furthering one's career. Thank you very much, Claire, for taking time today to cover such interesting and important topics. Um, we wish you the best and stay safe. Thank you, Lawrence. It's been an absolute delight uh, uh, to have you here and uh, um, look forward to um, uh, following the continued success of NOSIC. Great, thank you very much. Thanks, thank Claire.